Hey, you're listening to Into It from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm Sam Sanders, your host. In this episode, I'm asking a question. Well, two. How do we and how should we rank hit songs? Yeah, bitch, I said what I said. I'd rather be famous instead. So this past week, a Doja Cat song hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. This is the Billboard chart that tracks the most popular songs in the country. And Doja, hitting number one with this song, Paint the Town Red, it's actually a big deal because for about a year, no rap song had hit number one on the Billboard charts. Even as rap and hip-hop are the most dominant musical genres in the world. I have been thinking about this a lot, the Hot 100 and how it measures what it measures. Because for most of this year, the Billboard Hot 100 has seemed off. For a moment in 2023, a seven-year-old song from The Weeknd was at number one because it was popular on TikTok. And then later this year, a country song by a new artist no one had ever heard of before hit number one without a lot of radio play. I've been selling my soul. Because conservative activists told people to buy this song to fight the woke agenda. I find myself asking these days, what is the Hot 100 even measuring? Is it actually a good measure of the most popular music right now? And is everyone just gaming this system to get to number one? Basically, a lot of questions that I want answers to. So I called up my friends over at Switched on Pop. It's a Vulture's pop music podcast. And I asked them if the Hot 100 feels weird to them, too. Oh, absolutely. I think, like, we in, you know, September just had the first hip-hop number one of the year, which is kind of nuts to me. The charts don't seem to make any sense. Things are popping in and out so fast, it's kind of hard to keep track of or have any idea what people are actually listening to. This episode, I'm joined by Rihanna Cruz and Charlie Harding of Switched on Pop to figure out what is up with the Billboard Hot 100. We'll tell you after the break. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. This is a thing. And like, you know, besides, you know, random TikTok songs and the sped up versions of those songs charting now on Billboard, we're also seeing the rise of like these 
politically incendiary country songs rising the charts out of, like, political activism. I want to talk about all of this and why it makes the chart funky and how all kinds of folks, labels, fans, etc., can game this system. But I feel like to start, we have to define the Hot 100, what it measures, and how it measures it, right? Makes sense. If you had to define it yeah. in 30 seconds, how would you, Charlie? The Billboard Hot 100 is the chart to rule all charts. It <laughs> aggregates uh, where music is happening across purchases, streaming, radio, uh, and uh, some social platforms, primarily YouTube, and gives us a ranking of what music is popular. It's been the bean counter of the land since 1958, and it's a constantly evolving tool that's trying, I guess it's best, to tell us what is popular at any given moment. Yeah, yeah. Charlie, would you say it's like allegedly the best songs in the country, like the most popular songs in the country? Not best. Yeah, best, best is, is a stretch, okay? Right, right. No, 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 no. But most popular, no? Yes. It is the poppiest of the popular. Yeah. Yeah. And so for years in my youth, I would go to the Billboard Hot 100 to like, put my finger to the pop culture wind, check the zeitgeist, see what the biggest songs in the country were. It's harder than ever to do that now, it seems like, um, for many reasons. But I also want to point out, before we talk about those reasons, how the Billboard Hot 100 has changed a lot in this current streaming era. For many years, the only things that went into the Hot 100 to determine what the biggest songs in the country were were song sales, physical and digital, um, and radio play. But a few years and Sam, ago— Sam, it's worth noting yeah. that before the early 90s, that was all mostly aggregated via surveys. Yeah, right? self-reporting the, from these mm-hmm. record stores. Right? So there was yeah. all kinds of opportunity for malfeasance. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until, what, 91 when SoundScan gets introduced that we actually get real accurate sales figures. And so this is a chart which is ever-changing. Yeah. Yeah. And so the biggest change in our current streaming era is the inclusion of streaming apps like Spotify or Apple Music to go towards that tally and the inclusion of things like YouTube. But contrary to popular belief, um, TikTok, not a part of the Hot 100. With that said, I feel like we've clearly defined this chart. I want to talk about how this system can be gamed. To start, I want to speak about how political activism is one of those ways. We've already mentioned this song, Rich Men, North of Richmond, which was the impetus for this whole episode. That's perhaps the biggest and best example of how political activism can make a song number one on the Hot 100. I guess to start, how do we set up this song for our listeners who may have not heard it before? What is this song and who is this guy? Okay, Oliver Anthony Music is the project of the artist Christopher Anthony Lunsford. These rich men, North of Richmond, Lord knows they all just wanna have total control. He released a song on YouTube that is him singing outside in the woods into a cheap microphone with an acoustic guitar, with a lot of passion and gusto about political corruption, but the song also includes uh, all kinds of anti-wokeness, QAnon-leaning 
lyrics and fat shaming, welfare shaming. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the obese milk and welfare. God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. The song blows up on social media, largely due to the help of a number of conservative pundits. And it is one of these overnight success songs where he's not coming from any kind of musical background, has no label support, supposedly, and becomes a number one hit artist seemingly overnight. And part of the reason why it goes to number one so quickly is that conservative pundits are basically telling people, if you support him and are against the woke agenda, you should go buy this song. Mm -hmm. You buying this song is making a point about politics. And so... This song didn't rise up the charts organically through radio play or streaming. It was a lot of people who were kind of pissed off about other things making a point by going to iTunes. Yeah. That's what I find so, I, I hate the word problematic, but yes. Am I wrong to feel that way? No, I mean, it's similar, I feel, to like the popularity of the movie Sound of Freedom. Mm. How'd that make you feel? Giving a child his freedom. Where it's not about the merits of the movie, or in the case of Oliver Anthony, the song itself, but rather what the song represents and what the extension is, where people were going to see the movie Sound of Freedom because of the anti-child trafficking message. And it doesn't matter whether or not the movie is good. Here it's like, people don't really care about the song, or they don't really want to like listen to the song you know or or judge it on its merits but rather like oh it's representative of the silent majority and what people are thinking but not saying well and it's this thing you know with the sound of freedom of it all this expenditure of money to prove a point it doesn't matter if people like the song or like the movie with sound of freedom you had rich conservative donors backers activists mm-hmm. buying out whole theaters right. and not caring right. if folks showed up like it was wild right just to boost the numbers and with richmond north of richmond but also the jason aldean song try that in a small town we'll try that in a small town see how far you make it there it's a similar thing where you have people buying this track to boost the numbers and be like, well, you see, like, this song hit the top five on the Billboard Hot 100, so it has to mean something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Right, and I think it's worth mentioning that there are a number of reasons why they're doing it on iTunes. Now, first of all, digital sales have been obviously declining during the era of streaming. They were really only popular for about a decade in the post-Napster era. But there is an older demographic that does tend to buy more music. Uh, that might just be due to being a technological slowpoke, but the older demographic that does buy more music might lean more towards the country demo. And this method of exploiting part of how the chart counts and weighs digital sales is not just an act of political activism. Rather, it's a method that has been co-opted from fan groups. Mm-hmm. Songs from mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj. This one is for the boys with the booming system. Top town AC. From K-pop groups. From Harry Styles. Have all gone on the charts due to people going and buying their music actively, picking up digital sales because they want to see their artist number one. Are you mad at... I I just... I don't know. 
am I wrong to feel this angry about it? It just feels like it's cheating. And I get it. This is how it goes. <laughs> and this is not the first time people have made something like a song or a movie their activism. But mm-hmm. when I see that song at number one on the charts and I've never heard it on the radio, right. I'm like, well, then what's up with this chart? Well, I mean, I know I look at the Hot 100 kind of religiously, you know, and I and I use that yeah. as sort of a barometer for the biggest songs in the country, what people know, what people are listening to. So the fact that these songs that, yeah, like I've never heard before are hitting number one, it does feel like cheating, at least to me, because it's like these songs aren't the biggest songs in the country. They're just demonstrating a sort of gaming, you know, like you've said. I think that your, I think your consternation gets at this fundamental question of what the Hot 100 should represent. Mm-hmm. Is it representing music that is being heard, or music that's being engaged with? It's always mm-hmm. been a strange chart because, huh. mm-hmm. in its foundation, it both represented sales and radio play. And I don't know about you, yeah. Sam, but I think about how I consume the music I purchase versus the music that I listen to in the background very differently. And so there's oh, always yeah. this fundamental tension of, is this music popular with everybody because it's happening in the background? Or is there a really diehard group whose engagement is boosting the chart position of that artist and song? After the break, we get more into how fandoms for Taylor Swift, for BTS, how they've changed the game and gamed the system. I want to talk next about another way that artists and labels game the system to send a song to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Can we flash back to the summer where the BTS song Butter <laughs> seems to be the biggest song of the summer? Smooth like butter, like criminal undercover. Don't pop like trouble breaking into your heart like that. What year was that? 2021? I was going to say 2019. Butter was like the reprieve from the pandemic that everybody needed. So it had to be 2020. I, I didn't need it. Can I be honest? I didn't need it. <laughs> no, butter's fine. I didn't need it. I didn't need it. Anywho. I'm with you, Sam. This song, Butter by BTS, um, it went to number one after the powers that be behind BTS released some six remixes of the song. Which meant that diehard, devoted BTS fans didn't just play one song on repeat. They played six songs on repeat. And then they get a number one hit. This is just the tip of the iceberg of what K-pop fans are willing to do to make their artists hit number one. But to start, are we okay with the remixification of a song like Butter to make it feel like more of a hit than it really is? This is an age-old tactic. I mean, this is you want to get your music in as many dance communities as possible. So you want to have a drum and bass version and a house version and a techno version so that it gets spun in different clubs. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I also don't but think— But let me just stop you because, yeah. I mean, they have the hotter remix, the sweeter remix, the cooler remix, the Megan the Stallion remix, and the Holiday remix. 
They had a holiday <laughs> remix for a summer song, Charlie. That's that. That probably is a bit too much. I mean, I, I guess you know retailers do start planning their <laughs> what's going to be in the windows in the summertime. So, but I, I think it's also I gotta say, Sam, I don't think that the powers that be. Um, with BTS are the label. I think it's actually the fandom. The fandom is coordinated. Mm. They are passionate. And they really believe that being at the top of the charts is a signifier of the strength of the work of their favorite group. And so they are active in finding ways to make sure that their songs overperform, whether that's coordinated listening parties, buying as many versions of the song as you can. There's a real want for this much material from BTS. I actually don't really have a problem with it, and I don't think it's unique to them either. This is a strategy that so many pop groups employ. Rihanna, do you have a problem with it? I don't really have an issue with it, honestly, because even before Butter, the remix method is how Old Town Road broke the number Mm. one record. But it was just one remix, right? Or how many remixes was that? Well, no, because there was the Diplo remix. Wait, there was the Diplo remix? Yes, it's not good. On on the (laughs) Old Town Road remix ranking, it's not good. There's my favorite one, which has Young Thug and Mason Ramsey on it. Mason Ramsey's the young yodeler, right? Absolutely. (laughs) The perfect right time. And then the fourth remix came featuring uh, Rap Monster BTS. You know, so there were multiple remixes, and they were all Wait, released. Wait, stop, stop, stop! There's a there's an Old Town Road remix with BTS. Yeah, I think it's called Soul Town Road Remix. This? I hate it. I hate it. Everyone's trying to make their song pop in a world of just too much material. And, you know, I think that the K-pop groups get unfairly maligned. You know, in 2022, Billboard actually changed their rules to say that only one song download per week would count towards the chart. And K-pop groups saw this as a direct affront because they, they... you know, heard their music going up the charts, but then not getting radio play. And it was perceived as, I think, this internal battle between the K-pop fandoms and BTS fandoms especially, and um, radio DJs and Billboard. So everyone does this, and Mm -hmm. I don't think that the way that BTS gets treated is particularly uh, fair. I think because the music is, like, quote-unquote different and coming from a different place, that it's culturally different, I think it is under more scrutiny there than other other acts. Now, there's scrutiny there, but also some of the methods of these K-pop fans off the charts. Pardon the, the wordplay. I mean, <laughs> uh, a lot of them figure out how to switch up their IP addresses so they can buy the same song multiple times. Some devoted K-pop fans will organize fundraisers to raise thousands of dollars to then distribute to other fans of the band to have them buy the records from their IP addresses. Um, it's, I mean, like, the K-pop fans go about this in a more devoted manner, it seems, than any other fan. Well, there are other examples of, like, Nicki Minaj, who's had songs chart that over-index for digital sales 
where huh. these coordinated listening campaigns are just, they are the thing that fandoms What is that? Do. Yeah, break that down. Because you mentioned that twice now. What does that mean, like a coordinated listening party or listening campaign? So basically, a whole fandom will have, whether it's through a Reddit or an email form or whatever their you know internal um, fandom communication is, they'll, they'll plan not just in-person listening parties, but you know, listening parties around the world individually say, hey, we're all going to stream our favorite song as many times as we possibly can. And they even understand how Billboard works and know that if too many things come from one IP address, then, it, then actually the streamers will dock some of the streams by saying, well, actually, you've listened to that thing 10 times in a row. You're probably not listening. It's They're, wow. they're trying to wow. look out for abuse and spam. And so knowing this, fan groups have figured out how to get around the sort of spam blockers. And, well, yeah, they'll use VPNs. They'll uh, you know pretend to be from some other place. But they're, they're engaging with the music. But, yeah, there, there are fandoms that have really learned how these charts work and actively try to game them, whether that's through ongoing listening parties or through uh, as many digital purchases as you can. And uh, to get around the one purchase a week rule, they'll purchase from different credit cards and different online stores so that they can help boost the strength of their artists. It's wild. So Billboard has called this phenomenon uh, a music industry version of political action committees. (laughs) That's fun. Wow. Epic. (laughs) I mean, in a way, like, I have to respect it, you know? Like, it's like, that's a special skill at that point. Like, I could ask any BTS fan, hey, how do the Billboard charts work? And they would give me a more effective answer than a lot of articles. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I guess it's somewhat a political action committee is uh, maybe a more nefarious way of putting it. But I kind of think of it almost like sports, where people are just doing everything to promote their team. And... The Hot 100 used to be maybe more of a inside baseball like trade. I mean, Billboard is a trade publication fundamentally. It's for people who work in the music yeah, industry. Yeah. And I think it has become more of a consumer fan chart that people realize that they have an impact on. Mm. And so fan groups try to exploit that, whether uh, it's BTS groups or the Barbs or Harry Styles fans. Uh, this is a common thing that happens amongst you know really ravenous fandoms now. More with Switched On Pops, Charlie Harding and Rihanna Cruz after the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
Speaking of Harry Styles, let's move on to the next method through which artist labels kind of game this chart to send a song to number one. I'm using Harry Styles as an example, but probably no one does this better than Taylor Swift. Mm. This method is basically selling a song or an album physically as a collector's Mm. item. So the record version of a single or the cassette or CD version of a single becomes a collector's item that you must buy on top of just streaming the single. Uh, A few years ago, we all know that Harry Styles song, (laughs) Watermelon Sugar. Watermelon Sugar. It ended up getting up to number one on the Billboard charts. But before it got to number one, it was kind of in the middle of the top ten, getting close, but not quite getting there. What Harry's label did was release that single on vinyl <laughs> and also release it on CD wow. oh, no. to make it a collector's <laughs> item for Harry Throwing fans who then went out and bought those things and sent the song to number one. Watermelon sugar. You know, we're talking about the Hot 100 here in singles, but someone like Taylor Swift does this as well with albums. You'll recall when she was releasing her latest album, Midnight's, she had four differently designed vinyls of Midnight's. And if you bought all four, they connected together to make a clock. (laughs) She's a clock. It's a clock. It's a clock. It makes a clock. It can help you tell time. What? is going on here <laughs> rihanna and charlie i don't understand oh, make it make oh, sense oh boy oh bro are we okay with this are we okay I, with this i mean i i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's like i i feel like of all the things that bother me the most you know putting like political activism aside Right. The the thing that bothers me the most about gaming mm-hmm. is probably these limited physical edition scams, you know, because it's well, like. Scam. Ooh, OK. Now we know how you yeah. feel. Right. And let's call right. it what is a scam. I don't know. It, like, I don't want to sound like a billboard purist where I'm like, oh, like it's scamming what billboards about. But like it takes advantage of the things that like billboard is founded on, namely physical sales and is using that mm-hmm. to boost the chart positions, you know? And and it's like Billboard, I think historically, pre-streaming, right, is a chart that's founded on physical sales. So And radio play. And radio play, mm-hmm. right. But when artists realize this, they're like, oh, okay, nobody's buying things anymore, or at least less than they used to. Let's put out six versions. Or in the case of New Jeans, you know, their EP had 14 versions more than minutes on the EP, which is kind of crazy. That's wild. Make it feel like a game. Look at us, we go on and on again. I'll go on to the end. What we wanna do on and on again. It was like a 12-minute EP. It had 14 versions. It's crazy, but these fans are buying them to boost the sales because physical sales are weighted higher than streaming. Is that fair? Is that fair? It's complicated. Yes. <laughs> okay. A okay. physical okay. sale okay. is weighted more than a stream. Billboard's formula is proprietary. You can't know exactly how it works. We know the elements inside of it, but mm-hmm. each kind of listen or purchase is given a divider and is ranked and scored differently. Uh, and it's ever changing. Hmm. So, hmm. yes, like one for one, a sale is worth more than a stream. But then streaming 
is significantly more important in the overall ranking and the actual formula that's created for each song. Streaming is overweighted compared to sales. It's just not a lot of people sell many records. So when someone does, it makes a huge difference. Well, the more you know. I I still think it's a scam. (laughs) Listen, let me tell you. The whole point of this episode is Sam saying very loudly, scam, scam, scam. (laughs) Exactly. I don't like it because I think it's just exploiting fan idolatry and there's no need to own four of a single record. Like, okay, you want to have a backup? That's fine. You want to have one in your, uh, I don't know, one in your living room and one in your bedroom? Okay, fine. But no one needs four yes. vinyl of an artist. I think that that's absolutely absurd. The only time I bought an album more than once physically was my sophomore year of high school. I purchased D'Angelo's Voodoo three times. Because I wanted one in my school locker. I wanted yep. one in my band locker. And one was in the car. That's and I reasonable. don't regret it. I but don't regret love. it. I think there's some pushback here, though, at the same time where, you know, when you buy an album and you listen to it back to back to back to back to back, those listens aren't getting counted, only the actual purchases. Whereas when you stream something, all of the streams get counted towards the Hot 100. Now, obviously, streams are counted way less than that individual purchase, but there is kind of an inequity there. There's There's something about the streaming world where it does tell us more about what music is being heard as opposed to the world pre-streaming where all we saw was a proxy for what was purchased. We have no idea how much people actually engaged with that music. So I'm kind of ambivalent about this issue. It's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. Yeah. So -hmm. we've talked about three ways the chart can be gamed. Political activism. Basically, political folks saying, buy this single as an act of resistance or whatever. (laughs) Uh, There's multiple remixes and there's limited physical editions of songs. Uh, These are ways that you can game the system. I want to talk briefly before we, I don't know, issue a final verdict on the Hot 100. I want to talk about another thing that is maybe not gaming the system, but is weird to me about the Hot 100, and it happens a lot in our current era. Have you noticed anytime Drake or Taylor Swift releases a new album, every song on the album hits the Billboard Hot 100 Top 40? Kiki, do you love me? Are you writing? It's clutter. Oh, yeah. It's noisy. I don't like it. Are we okay with this? Well, it's definitely just a representation. This is happening because how we listen has changed and how we count what we listen has changed. I don't really like it. Like, it doesn't seem to make sense that all of Taylor's songs are at the same time the most popular songs in the country, no no matter how And then what even makes me even more upset is, like, that happens, and then folks are like, well, they just broke this record that the Beatles set. And you're like, it was a different world, (laughs) a different time, a different reality. For the Beatles to have done the same thing back in the 60s, they would have had to have all of their songs released as singles, yeah. and they would have, on a, on a given album, and mm-hmm. radio would have had to play the entire album back to back to back. So it's just like, it was an impossibility before. Yeah. I don't like all of these new achievements that are being Everyone created. gets it's a record. Like yeah. Everyone gets a records. record now. Everyone gets a medal. Congratulations. Everyone's a winner. <laughs> An example that happened super recently that kind of rubbed me the wrong way was that every track on the Zach Bryan record charted. Mm. Mm-hmm. Rock girl whiskey's gonna ease my mind Beach town dress on the drying line 
And I, I thought that was fascinating because unlike Drake or Taylor Swift, I don't consider Zach, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't consider Zach Bryan like one of the biggest artists in the country, you know, where mm-hmm. he has like consistent He rate. might be one of the biggest artists in country. Yeah. Well, yeah, but not right, right. But not country. like yeah. in the USA. And I, I think like that really threw me because I didn't know that artists that weren't, you know, Taylor Swift and Drake and, you know, all these other A-plus list celebrities could do that. You know, and and that was sort of a shift in my brain where I was like, oh, wow, like anybody can chart every single track on the Hot 100. Like, how Mm -hmm. does that even happen? You know, we have this conversation about the ways this chart is wonky, about the ways this chart can be gamed. And I'm ending it being like, should I trust the Hot 100? Is it a reliable barometer of what the most popular songs in the country are? And if it's not, what is? I wonder where y'all stand on this. You are two music experts. You do music for a living. Given all that we've talked about, how much do you trust the Hot 100? I don't anymore. (laughs) I don't know. That's just me, though. Because, like, even the— I hear you. Even the Doja Cat song, you know, that that just hit number one, Paint the Town Red— I can't recall it off the top of my head. And I'm listening to radio all the time. You know, that's Mm. when I'm driving in the car at home. Mm. That's all I'm listening to. And when I'm thinking of Paint the Town Red, I can't recall anything from it. Not even the amazing Dionne Warwick sample? No. And that's crazy to me because I would (laughs) have clocked that. You know, if I heard it on the radio, I would have been like, oh shit, Dionne Warwick. But... Yeah, I I can't recall a single thing, and I think that at this point, you know, considering everything that's happened on the charts in 2023, I feel like the Hot 100 has lost a little bit of importance, at least in in my brain, you know, because of all of this constant gaming and all of this fragmented type of listening where Mm. a song that I could hear a million times on social media won't even break the Hot 100. There you go. Yeah. All right, Charlie, what's your verdict? I don't like ranking art, so it's not my favorite Mm. way of looking at what do people enjoy because music is deeply subjective and personal, and that tends to be more important to me is finding those stories. Mm -hmm. I tend to trust that Billboard is doing the best job it can at trying to represent what music is being heard. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is a strange chart in that way, that it both looks at music which is being heard passively and music that is being engaged with actively. Mm. Um, I think I'm often more interested in music that people are actively engaging with. So often there are stories of like, music is dying. And actually people are just upset about the sort of background music which has proliferated in our life in the era of algorithmic so listening. Spotify playlist notification mm-hmm. of our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know playlist, I don't know artists. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that Billboard is trying to keep track of how we are listening despite constantly changing listening habits. And so I trust it for doing its job. But I wish I had better ways of telling what is music which is being actively engaged with Mm -hmm. and music which is being passively listened to. And I think we're going to see some major updates to probably Billboard, but certainly uh, streaming agreements are already being made. They're going to count 
listens differently and payouts differently depending on how people are actually engaging with the music. Huh. That's happening right now. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, Billboard isn't all entirely bad. Like, I, I'm thinking of the trend this year where a lot of regional Mexican songs were charting on the yeah. Hot 100 at once. Yeah. And as somebody that listens to that music, I thought that that was a really interesting moment that kind of brought awareness and popularity to these artists that are very regional, right, and and very insular in the musical scene. So I, I do think Billboard has some cultural significance still, and, and there's some positives that we can glean from looking at the chart. I will say I have given up on the Hot 100, but I still <laughs> check out the streaming chart, and I still check out mm. the radio play chart. And when I look at those two, I kind of feel like I have a better barometer of actual listening. But I will say, in spite of all my complaining about how the Billboard Hot 100 is really screwy, one thing is true. We now have more transparent data about listening and purchasing and streaming than we've ever had before. Before the 90s, it was a black box and no one actually knew. And if you want to go back really far, in the 50s or 60s in the payola era— All of it was corrupt, and you just had labels paying stations to play songs. So all of it's better than that, I suppose? Oh my gosh, so much better. Okay, I'd I'd rather have fans trying to game the charts than labels doing it. And of course, labels work as hard as they can to get their their music heard still. But uh, the fact that fans are are, are sometimes having more impact, yeah, I, I, I prefer that. Until Billboard makes a better chart, listen to Switched On Pop to decipher everything that needs to be deciphered about pop music. Rihanna, Charlie, I always learn so much when I'm in y'all's presence. Thank you for your time and for this chat. Right back at you. Thank you. Turns out I'm the uh, the centrist. <laughs> I never <laughs> yes. thought I never thought I'd be that guy. <laughs> All right. So after we tape this chat. Billboard and TikTok announced a brand new weekly chart, the TikTok Billboard Top 50. Billboard says this will be the first chart to track the popularity of songs shared on TikTok. And it'll be based on, quote, combination of creations, video views, and user engagement. Sexy Red's Ski Yee is number one right now. Thanks again to Switched On Pop's Charlie Harding and Rihanna Cruz. Check out their podcast, Switched on Pop. It's one of my favorites. Also, thanks to Chris Melanthi, who helped us out a lot with uh, the research for this episode. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, Jelani Carter, and Taka Zen. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. He deserves all the number ones on all the Billboard charts. And the executive producer of audio at Vox Media is Nishat Kurwa. Listeners, we're back on Friday with a brand new episode. Till then, I guess, I don't know, stream Doja Cat. It's fun music. Okay, bye. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) (laughs) But they choose to do it. 
In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.